Welcome to our podcast where we share our hearts behind each of the songs we have written, as well as speak on our experiences as worship leaders. Our hope is the same here on this podcast as it is with our music, and that is to point people upward and inward as we explore the nuances of faith and devotion to the way of Jesus. time I heard God of Grace was when Mitch and Kristen were introducing that song to our church family in worship. And I remember it was such a pivotal moment for our church uh, family to be able to get permission to be honest about the mess that they're experiencing in their lives, whether it was worry, anxiety, depression, um, just spiritual warfare, and being able to be open about that and confess that and be honest about the messy parts of our lives, which invites uh, the presence of God, the comfort of God, um, this God who's with us in the midst of that. And so uh, I just remember that being such a, a pivotal moment for our church and uh, I'm so grateful for that worship song. The first time I heard God of Grace was at our church's youth group. Um, I was so in love with the song that I remember Googling the lyrics, trying to figure out the name of it, uh, because I just wanted to save it and listen to it over and over. The reason I love the song so much is because it's such a beautiful reminder that God is always with you in the trials, and that even when you're facing something that feels big and overwhelming, and maybe something uh, that even causes you to... Uh, fall away from your relationship with God, that he's still there to comfort you and you're still his child and there's nothing you can do that will keep him from leaving his throne to fight for you. And I just love that line in the song. I can't listen to it without crying because the reminder to me is just so beautiful and so true and something that I think everybody needs to be reminded of at different seasons in life. Um, it really is impossible for me, at least, to listen to it and not feel the Lord's presence. So thank you, Mitch and Kristen, for writing this song. Um, it is a blessing to me. So for me, God of Grace really hits me with my depression. There's this part, and it goes, When my heart goes astray, war on me is waged. I feel like sometimes with my depression, it's like a tug of war back and forth between God and feeling just so depressed and down in myself. And the other part that really hits me is about how at nighttime it gets worse. That God comes for me. And I want to cry every time I hear it because it, it means so much to hear that other people go through this too. And that God is always there fighting for me. I had the privilege and honor of serving on the worship team with Mitch and Kristen for seven or eight years. Two of my favorite people and absolutely amazing musicians, and serving with them will always be one of the highlights of my musical journey. When they first brought us God of Grace to play, I loved it, but there was one line that just didn't fit for me. The song starts out, Hear my voice, O Lord, deliver me from my enemies. Great start to a worship song. Then comes the next line, Walk with me in my mess. Walk with me in my mess? just didn't seem to have that same regal, lyrical vibe. The song goes on to have a really great chorus. Each time we played that song, the more I would think about that line, walk with me in my mess. 
and the more I realized the truth of that line. Each of us lives a messy life. We all have them. Whether that mess is spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, financial, doesn't matter. We all have something. Two years ago, I was sitting on Bubba the horse, and he decided he didn't want a rider. And I spent four days in the ICU. Messes can come quickly and often and stay around a while. But through it all, Jesus walks with us in our mess. I thank Mitch and Kristen for a beautiful song, and I truly believe in the God of grace. I have printed out the lyrics to the song, God of Grace. I like to follow along and read the words as Mitch and Kristen sing. This song has helped remind me, especially on days when I know I'm not making good choices, that God is always there. He fights my battles even when I don't want to fight for myself. He is my comforter. I was introduced to this song uh, at a time in my life when things were uh, very, very dark, and I didn't quite know where to go. I would wake up in the morning and just struggle to get out of bed and to face whatever was going to come my way. So every day, this song is something that provides me hope. At the same time, allows me to acknowledge and to be where I'm at and know that it's God that's with me, that God chose to do what he did in sending his son to make me whole. Still a struggle every day, and I'm so thankful for the, the words of this song. I appreciate your faithfulness to God and how you, you share your heart as well. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate this song so much. Thank you for, again, sharing this and sharing what's behind it. Blessings to you both. Welcome back, friends. This is episode five of Upward and Inward with me, Kristen, and my husband, Mitchell. And what you just heard right now was some testimonies of those in our community who have been led by our song, God of Grace, throughout the years. Thank you so much to those who called in and shared their testimonies and what it meant to you. It was really special just hearing each one of your stories. I'm so excited because by the time this podcast is out, that means God of Grace has dropped. It is out in the world. And it would mean so much to us if you not only went to listen to it, but if you shared it with your friends and your family and on social media. And I'm so thankful for the friends that have done that already and see our posts and it's we're tagged in it. And there's just been so many shout outs and it's meant a lot to us. It really has. So thank you. Thank you so much for your love and for your support. So Mitchell and I have witnessed this song impact our church community since 2014. And now that it's finally recorded and available, our hope is that the impact of this song surpasses the walls of our community. Yeah, in this episode, we will be getting into the heart and story of the song. This one is you know, very dear to my heart since we wrote it out of a season of severe panic attacks and the onset of my panic disorder. So I'm nervous while simultaneously stoked to share that personal journey in hope that, you know, this could spark encouragement for for someone. And we will also be getting into some of the musical side, just a little bit on this one, um, kind of like the previous episode. 
uh, episode two featuring the song, The Cross of Christ. So if you have not already, uh, jump over to that previous episode after this one uh, to check it out. One of the main influences that inspired the song and the lyrics and the wording was Psalms 27. And today we're going to have our good friend Randy read it. He is a bass player at our church. He's on rotation on our team. And he he's an excellent bassist and he has an excellent voice. So Randy, why don't you just read this verse right now? Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Man, he really does have a really good reading voice. Um, And just a note, that is a voice of someone who, I I kid you not, uh, when we were still wearing masks while on stage uh, with his bass, and his mask on, it looked like we hired Batman's nemesis, Bane, <laughs> for the weekend because he's he's ripped, tall, um, and he looks like someone you don't want to mess with. But uh, his voice just has a gentle Southern draw to it, and I, I love it. That psalm became the sounding board we kept coming back to for some of the language to this song. So, uh, But it's not a Psalm 27 in song form. Um, It's not that at all, but it's really just the passage that inspired the honesty uh, that you could find in in the lyrics, hopefully, in the the words of the song. Yeah, well, let's—why don't we do this? Let's set up the framework for the song and what season of life it was birthed out of. So around our second year of marriage, we were, well, we were actually living in a, in a little back house we were renting and we felt led to move. We reached out to a family on our worship team that we really loved and we found 
we found that we were just drawn to them. We asked if they had this room available because we've been to their house multiple times. And we asked if we could save money, live there, and, you know, pay rent. But it would be a significant, like, difference in cost. They prayed about it, and they welcomed us into their home. And that was a, right before Christmas, 2013. And we lived there for two and a half years, for almost two and a half years. We rented this little room in Garden Grove, and we had our own bathroom, and we had our own entrance if we wanted to um, come in through the back or whatever. But we never felt that we were intruding. They were very welcoming, always inviting us to eat with them, have dinner with them. Um, we shared the same fridge. When they were making tea or, or coffee, they would welcome us to have that. And I, I always felt that living there, it was more than just for us to save money. I knew that there was a bigger picture. There was a bigger purpose. There was something that we needed to glean off of them. Yeah, the family was so generous, and uh, we were always welcomed to any part of the house in the sense of whatever was happening, activity. They had guests over. Hey, you should meet our friend so-and-so. or Game night. Yeah, game nights. Or they're there. watching a movie. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm very introverted, and as much as the invitations were put forward, I you know would stick to my living quarters because that's just— uh, I'm just introverted, and I, I like that that time, that space. And so we were really two and a half years of, you know, hanging out, but also predominantly in that that space. What um, whether it's watching movies, conversations, whatever it was, you know, that was just where we were probably like seventy five percent of the time. And so I, I mean, you make us sound like hermits. I mean, but no, we're introverted for yeah. sure. We are. Yeah, and I bring that up because I think it's it's super relevant um, and even just relevant of this house. Like, why are, why the heck are we talking about this house? Well, this home, which we've we've visited and we still go at least monthly or once a week now with our friends that we hang out with. But it, it's relevant because this was the place in which I had my first anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and the onset of of my panic disorder, as I mentioned in the beginning, but but it's also the place where I received love and care for those things. Mm-hmm. I remember standing in there uh, while we were living there, it's, and we even had a, do- a dog with us. Yeah, at the, you know, during that time, we made it work. Yeah, and when I remember saying, "Man, I I could live in this space. Like, we don't need much." I mean, that's kind of like our mentality we've always had. It's just something that we felt, oh, this is fine. But this house also represents the place where I found my way out of these these things as well, or that I was drawn out of that spiral of anxiety. And it's also the place in which I began like my journey of health and taking care of myself, a complete lifestyle change because the couple who lived there modeled really disciplined lives of exercising regularly um, and always invited me to join them, you know, especially road cycling. I fell in love with that and just that freedom of the, especially with where we live near, near the ocean, the breeze, um, the deep breaths you can take while on the road, uh, road cycling, as you're also 
dodging traffic. So it's it felt risky enough to feel a little dangerous, but also so refreshing that you couldn't get enough of it. And even with doing exercise videos in their living room, like they were so so welcoming um, in, in inviting me into that. And so overcoming this spiral of anxiety was heavily due to them, their invitations to exercise, and really the physiological outcome of, of what that does for the brain. Like exercising was a huge role, played a huge role for me in, in, in coming out of that season of life. And they just, they invited me into that journey. And I'm so, so grateful for them and, and their invitations so within a within a year span, I completely did an overhaul change of uh, my lifestyle, eating habits, you know, which resulted in me losing uh, roughly sixty five pounds, and I've kept it off since. And I began getting <laughs> those dopamine hits that exercise provides over time. So I'm one of those freaks that um, love to exercise rather than it's just an end to a means, but. Um, yeah, I'm one of those weirdos. <laughs> but also you, you have a need to exercise because if you don't exercise in like three to four days, you feel mushy, like your brain feels mushy. Yeah. So it helps you with your creativity and just your overall health. It's become a, a spiritual practice for me as I'm running, whether I'm listening to a podcast, music, or no music whatsoever, and I'm just praying or thinking about big questions. It's, I'm by the ocean running, exhausted, finding finding the end, the ending breaking point to my fatigue and then still going. Like that whole process I'm so fascinated by and, and love uh, love doing that. But all that to say, this, this house in Garden Grove, California will forever be the place, you know, where my life really significantly changed uh, for the better. But before we get deeper into my experience with my anxiety attacks, what was... What was your perspective of that time living living there in, in general and what was happening? It became my, my safe space. I, I really love that family and I'm still close to the daughter. I am still close to the mother and they are my safe people. Like they're my tribe for sure. Yeah, and I too stay uh, connected with um, the dad He's really, uh, in a lot of ways, become a spiritual dad for me as well in the sense of we, uh, as of time of recording this podcast, we're going through a book together. We meet, we're meeting on Zoom, um, but it's just been so awesome to have them a part of our lives. And even the mom, she'll refer to us as her spiritual kids. They have, we still have the key to their house, not that we have ever used it. Right. But she said, you're welcome anytime. Don't even have to call or text. Of course I would. <laughs> but just that heart of what is mine is yours and just love and, and just that warmth, you could feel it for sure. They're just true, authentic people. Definitely authentic, A-plus yes. type, type people. So if you're okay with this question, and I know you're an open book, but what is, what is your history with anxiety going back to Little Mitchell? Well, I, I've experienced anxiety as far as I can think back. You know, most of my memories I think of that sit kind of right at the top of my heart are stories surrounding anxiety. 
And I don't think that's necessarily too far off base for a lot of people, right? Um, Most of the moments that are easiest to access for a lot of us are the ones that are traumatic and get seared into our memory banks. So, I mean, all throughout my grade school years, I was so um, what psychologists call ambivalent and anxious and could never focus. If I could put it this way, I can never cross the threshold to try hard at anything or at least anything academically because the thought of trying and failing was a nightmare to me. Although I don't think I would have been able to put words to that um, or articulate that as a as a child. But putting effort towards something I didn't already have a handle on or experience in was entirely outside of my headspace or paradigm to access anything like that. At least looking back, that's that's what I remember feeling, whether, like I said, whether or not I could have articulated that. Um, I had anxiety around, I remember this, like having anxiety around asking for help uh, from teachers because I didn't want to be a burden or even the idea of getting up in front of my peers to show that I needed help was paralyzing for me. So much anxiety around taking tests that my mind froze in the midst of it, even if I had studied, you know, studied on the rare occasion. So huge anxiety around test taking. My mind would felt like it would empty itself and I would end up guessing or leaving things blank. I remember so many blanks being left because my mind literally would block out whatever I I was reading uh, the night before or the, the weeks before. Then I'd have more anxiety about the outcome of the grade and leaving the blanks. So it was truly a spiral. Uh, did everything I could to avoid even thinking about that and just kind of like, well, I just need to move on and and try to survive, I guess, what, however I thought um, or didn't really didn't think. There are other major proponents that root back into my childhood that you know contribute to my anxiety, just like the vast majority of us have stuff to talk about um, within our childhoods, but out of respect for all parties in their privacy and their journeys of becoming, of of finding who they are in their place in the world, we can just say that I'm well acquainted with anxiety and a deeper look into my entire background with anxiety may serve for another episode if anyone would even care or be interested in that. But as it happens with many people who have an anxiety disorder later in life, it can uh, manifest itself by way of panic attacks or other, other ways. And this is exactly what happened to me in the summer of 2014. It helps me to think of what happened in, in these terms. So during, during that whole time, I experienced a stressor event or uh, a traumatic event that basically, um, if you could imagine a door opening up for all my pent up anxiety to now have a doorway to go through and start manifesting itself into a full blown embodied state. Uh, And there was no turning back or closing that door. It's like my body finally caught up to my processing engine, my brain. Uh, 
And so the floodgates opened and, and the gates <laughs> became unhinged and, or just disappeared. Um, and I was now living with an extreme elevated awareness of everything. Like my nerves were inside out in my brain. I remember it, it's like it physically tingled or felt like it was like being scratched and my thoughts raced and uh, my heart raced. My shoulders would go, would be so stiff and up and no reasoning or rationale helped at all. Like not even scripture helped, no prayer helped. I just had to ride that wave until that that wave was sort of done with me. That stressor event happened during a procedure with yeah. you. you it want was, to talk about that. It was a mild procedure. Very mild. Very mild. But as soon as the doctor put, I think it's like, it's like a burnt orange like cream. It, I don't know if it's a sanitizer or. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's there. It's their like cleaning product. So if you right before they yeah. do something, they'll rub it on the skin, and it's like yeah, it smells very yeah hospitally yeah yeah. And it's <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. And and then he brought out the little scalpel. Is that what it's called? The little knife. Yeah, scalpel. I look at you. He didn't even start yet. Oh, did he start? Yeah. Yeah. So he started, and I'm looking at you. But I was also trying not to look at the doctor while he was doing the procedure. And when I glanced at you, I saw your head just get, it was thrown back. Your eyes were rolling back. You were sitting on the chair. But at this point, your butt was lifted and your back was on the top of the chair. So you're like, your feet were on the ground. You're arched. My brain couldn't comprehend what you were doing. So when I first saw your eyes roll, I was like, is this a joke? Are you making, like, are you trying to be... Like funny. And then, but of course, within seconds, I knew that something was going on. The nurses came in and they came in while you were actually having, it looked like a seizure. Come to find out you had seizure-like symptoms, but you weren't having the seizure. But in that moment, we all thought, oh my gosh, you had a seizure. They were really nice because they were like, we can't help you because we can't take your insurance. So I'm glad they told us. that they're like but the hospital is like you know five minutes down the street Mm -hmm. we I drove you to the hospital and they saw you right away and they we went to the emergency I was starting to feel dizzy and everything started to fade and I remember thinking I I remember the Nalgene bottle I had looking down at it trying to focus on it and just like you're okay you're okay. And I saw um, the procedure, whatever they, if it's not TMI, but what they took out of you, they, I saw them hold it up. I've been in the hospitals before. I've been, I actually really love scary movies. I love gore. Yeah. Uh, I've been drawn to the behind the scenes, how they do the makeup for that kind of stuff. So I think something to it being done to you and I remember we hadn't, I hadn't eaten that morning. So my blood sugar was really low. Mm. And um, I think all that really proceeded of what contributed to that, just like really the tipping point for that moment. Uh, but yeah, I remember coming to, if you could picture a Hollywood movie of how 
your first person perspective and your the eye it looks like the eyelids are opening up very slowly and it came to and I open my eyes and you're you're like weeping you're uncontrollably sobbing looking at me mm. freaked out and two nurses or one of the nurses are looking at me telling me you just had a grand mal seizure that's that was the first thing that was said to me so what i immediately thought was oh no this is my life now i thought that because a few years back my my dad had severe strokes in which you know i had to call the ambulance for him and and he was experiencing seizures during during that time uh, as well which is common after you know someone has a stroke so i was thinking i'm going to have to go through what my dad has gone through and it's been really hard for him and i was like i'm young i don't i'm not ready for that or who is ready for that so i i do get out to the lobby and my mind is is racing um and and i'm process, trying to process all of my now new future that i'm completely convinced of and the same feeling i i was feeling right before i i blacked out and and really fainted started to come over me again and i remember hovering over a trash in sweating bullets like cold sweat mm -hmm. and i couldn't breathe i'm like this is happening again i literally thought i'm dying couldn't breathe like i'm going to pass out um, my adrenaline was just through the roof and my body was, you know, I knew I'm, I'm shutting down again. We got to get out of here. And I just like that fight or flight or flee was just, my body was in that state completely. So we, we get to the hospital and we found out that you didn't have a, a seizure. Yeah, they checked my blood. But they you have fainted. Yeah, they have the markers to see if I actually did have a seizure. They could check. I don't know how they check all that, but yeah, um, that was a huge relief that you yeah. weren't. Yeah, the doctor said it's 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 common sometimes to if someone passes out, they could stop breathing and they can start contorting. Yeah, because your hands were crossing over, and you know how like when. I don't, I have joint knuckles, so I can make my hands look really weird. But your hands, you don't have that. You don't have joint right. knuckles. So, but your hands were contorting. Like my muscles were like freezing up. Yeah, they yeah, were tensing tightening. up and your hands were crossing. So yeah, yeah, that explains a lot. So that was relieving to say the least. That, oh, yeah. That um, it wasn't what I was fearing. Yeah. But yet that event became as i've worked through this with my my therapist because it's had long-term effects of trauma that you know how trauma lives in the body and mm -hmm. uh there was a long season in which i couldn't even drive by a hospital without starting to get cold sweats and yeah. shallow breathing and had to really walk myself through yeah processing that yeah, I remember one time you had to go visit someone. I think it wasn't even in a hospital, but it had that feel. Whether it, I don't know if it was like a um, a senior home, but it had that very clinical, clean, and it triggered you. And you called me and you said, like, I'm starting to feel it, but I think I have it under control. 
Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, what's it called? It's right by us, but it's a senior living home. And I was doing a a visit to one of the elderly people at this um, senior living right down the street from us. And I remember I had to just do my breathing, do all this stuff. And yeah, that, that was a hard season. So I know more happened within the next couple of weeks. That was just the beginning. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally can. You know, like I was saying that I thought it was just, oh, that was just an event. And I'll, now that I know that it wasn't what I thought it was, it'll everything will be fine. But things kind of calmed down. But throughout the, the next couple of weeks, there was this, low hum of anxiousness and nervousness. Like I was aware of, felt like I was aware of the nerves in my body. I just could not, could not relax. Um, and then what seemed like out of nowhere, a couple of weeks after we were in our room and uh, a full panic attack hit me yeah. while we were sitting in our room watching a show and we were eating and watching an excellent show called Revenge. Um, it was awesome. And I was remember eating a salad and what I felt in that lobby came back to me, like the exact what I felt. Um, but I but it wasn't new. So I knew that feeling. And so I thought like, okay, something's happening. I lost my appetite. Um, I didn't say anything to you at first. No, you actually... It was in the evening. So when I was watching the show, you rolled over in the bed you, towards the wall. So I'm facing the opposite direction. So I just thought, oh, you went to sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I it's like, okay, I just need to lay down, close my eyes and process through this. Um, just just let it, let it ride. You know, I wasn't in therapy at that time. So I had no idea any of the language for this or what yeah. was really happening. Yeah. Um, and so I had no awareness of, of what was actually happening. I only know now, but my mind was racing and I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't hold a thought. So I try to conceal it from you to not worry you. This, this will pass. I thought, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't until I think we were, you know, laying, both laying in bed, you know, the show was done. I remember telling you, um, go ahead and finish it. I'll, I'm just going to go to bed early. I definitely was not tired at all. It was opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were laying in bed trying to sleep and I finally told you something was wrong. And I, maybe it was like 12 or yeah. or 2 a.m., something. And I Back in the day when we used to stay up late. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought, you know, you know, two or three hours has gone by. Yeah. This, this should be fine. I should be fine now. But yeah. um, I thought, you know, that's when I said, I have to tell her because this isn't going away. And I thought right. I need to go to the hospital. And I thought, do I need to go to a mental ward? And so the, right. just that thought caused me to spiral. And, and, you know, you and I were well acquainted with what that was like, at least seeing someone undergo this type of process of, of a panic disorder, among other things that was happening to this, to this person. And they had to go to a, a mental ward. I hope that's what they're still called. I don't know if there's a nicer term term for those facilities, but um, but because you know someone we know dearly had undergone a psychotic break and was hospitalized, so I began thinking 
that I was on that path. Now, here's my new thing to be really mm-hmm. freaked out about. And I kept thinking about all of this in, in very grand, big, like meta terms. And so like, this is it. This is the end of my life as, as I know it, as we know it. Yeah, after that night, just seeing how you were handling it and how it was just consuming you and how really you couldn't function, it made me think the same way of this is going to be our life now. And I am very well acquainted with mental health, with anxiety. I have a brother that's really close to me that has dealt with a lot of that in his journey and in his testimony. And I witnessed him be hit hard with mental health. Yeah, I I was there when he had a, a breakdown and my whole family was on that journey with him. And to see the process of, you know, going to, a mental hospital and and be um, admitted to that, finding the right therapist, going on the right medication. And the whole family is just on this journey to support and love and be there and talk with and just be available. I thought that we were going to be going on that journey together in our marriage and in our relationship. I was asking God to prepare me for my new life with you. And I remember grieving. I, I thought that I had to say goodbye to the old you. I thought there was a part of you that I was going to have to say goodbye to. That's really heavy because we've experienced that in, in ways with other people in our life. And so that's, that's, really, that's really heavy. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the transformation out of that in a way did do that for me, you know, in a very self-focused, positive way, you know, with a new lifestyle of eating, eating well, exercising, but I also came obsessive over that in a new way. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's impossible to fathom. I would say looking back that there was a part I had to say goodbye because through this, this launched you into become a healthier person, not only um, physically and, you know, what, what you eat and how you take care of yourself, but it launched you into figuring out what is buried deep underneath the surface of your, your thoughts, your heart, all of it. And you have become a different person and you are definitely not the same person. You're so aware of what's going on in your heart and in your mind or I think I did. <laughs> I mean. No, I, I think definitely. you are because there's moments where you're like, I, I really need to 
to work on this in my life or I'm really struggling with this. You know, you you really work on the things that you really, you see that oh, I'm not okay with, with this tension. Yeah, more self-aware, more knowing my triggers, knowing yeah. what's been operating under under the hood in, in many regards, you know, all the amazing things that comes with therapy that I can't recommend enough for people of knowing thyself and knowing God is so interconnected that it's, I'm a believer of that so much. Um, yeah. I just remember crying so much. Right. And I couldn't eat. Like, And that was one of the symptoms that I witnessed my brother have. He, it was it was uncontrollable and there was a lot of there was a lot of crying so there was just things that were going on that he was the only reference i had to just really pull out of my experience when i was 18 when i witnessed him have his his uh psychotic break and so i would compare what, what you were going through for weeks to uh, for a few weeks now to my experience with him. So I definitely thought that, okay, our life is going to be drastically different. Our marriage is going to look different. Of course, I I was in it and I want to be alongside you every every step of the way. I was asking God to prepare me to for a, a new life, a different life with you. I remember turning to God in prayer, sermons, journaling, and, you know, I spoke with the husband of the couple who were, who we were staying with. And I also began running a lot as well. Um, running really became my escape from these, this, these feelings. And I remember running at night around the block like this. They have this residential track area and I would just loop it like a madman, like, like 20 times. I mean, it didn't start out with 20 times, but right. towards the end of when we moved, I was just like doing a, a circle around this, this track. I remember running at night, crying while I'm running. And it felt like I was actually sweating out and crying out the anxiety from my body which late, later I've listened to psychologists. Turns out that there is science behind, behind that to back that up, that that, was, um, that helps uh, depression and anxiety. That was when I started making big shifts you know, in my life towards holistic health, meditation, a, a lot of mindfulness, and really got interested in spiritual formation and self-awareness as we've talked about like therapy. And that was what, the song God of Grace was birthed out of. And hopefully that will seem more obvious as we flesh out the lyrics. But as we move into the lyrics of the song, do you remember anything about the songwriting process? I mean, it was written there at that house, but do you remember that at all? It's hard because I, looking back, because we wrote this song, I want to say to 2014. 2014. I, it was hard for me to recall a lot of that I remember sitting on our futon that we made into a bed. <laughs> yeah. That was our our bed for two and a half years, and I remember tweaking the lyrics. Mm -hmm. There's some lyrics that I I definitely remember writing. Yeah, I remember the times that no one was home. 
they had to have a music room with a baby grand piano and we would sit in there at least have one memory of us trying to work out a couple of the lyrics uh, with the book of psalm open trying to get use it as a soundboard Mm -hmm. but i found hunted down and found old voice memos of some of the early drafts of some of the parts Mm -hmm. that that came to us Um, but so we'll uh, i'd love to throw those in as we talk about some of those parts but let's jump into um, the lyrics starting with verse one which says hear my voice O lord deliver me from the enemy walk with me in my mess hear my voice as i cry out in distress so i remember you were a little unsure with the word mess the word mess i think I think you you are jotting that down, and I was very opposed to it because I felt that it wasn't, it just wasn't elegant. I just felt that it was so. The song seemed kind of um, mature. <laughs> no, was, right, yeah. it it felt like there's a very royal theme to it in the yeah. sense that you know this king and behold our king, and then all of a sudden this word mess is yeah is in it because we yeah. wrote the chorus first, yeah. but. And then all here I am writing yeah. this word, just very, very earthy yeah. word. Yeah. And and we started the song off as a prayer. The song is a prayer, but we were going on prayer walks. I would just take you on walks with me, pull you out of the room when you were in a, a state of anxiousness, of you were just just paralyzed with your thoughts that were consuming you. And we would go on walks very slowly. It started off. I know you you mentioned that you were running at one point, but it started off with just walking. We were holding, you know, I would hold your hand. And we would just like pray. And so so it was very real to us to to start the song off in a prayer. Yeah. What are you feeling? I'm looking back on your progress and just the beginning of of your anxiety and panics and the stages of that and how, you know, it went from us walking to now, like you're running and just seeing that, I think, I think, there's there's just so much power in where you're at now because of God's grace over you. I appreciate that. Lots of feels in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, the much of the song is taken from Psalms, and I like to think of the Psalms as a lyric glossary cheat sheet. Um, that's what I like to call it. But as we eventually get to verse two, we'll see how this verse, you know, verse one really is setting up verse two, and it's mostly the same same words. But you know, I went back into the 2014 um, voice memo song bolt and actually found some old iPhone voice memos of 
pieces of this song as it was in the process. So I'll pepper those in as we go. Some of the lyrics and some of the phrasings change, as you'll notice, which is what makes it the fun part about listening to these old, old memos. But here is where the first verse began. Oh my God, oh Lord, deliver me from the enemy, walk with me in my mess, hear my voice as I cry in distress. Well, the pre-chorus says, when worry finds me where I sleep, my God, my God, you comfort me. When darkness comes from within the deep, my God, my God, you come for me. Yeah, so this was a line that really resonated with me. When darkness comes from within the deep. I think at the time, I didn't really know how to, how to explain it. But it made so much sense to me. And I know we got a second opinion on the song when we were writing that. And this person was like, what, is, what does the deep mean? What, is, what does that mean? And I, I really didn't have language at the time. But now, looking back, I, I know what I want to express. To me, what the word, the deep, when darkness comes from within the deep, that just means that really dark place, that pit, that hole that just goes on forever. And it feels never ending. It feels hopeless. And you know that there's just an ick, that it's not of God. And that it's just really that word that darkness comes from within the deep, that that line can mean anything to anyone. Someone's darkness might look different to someone else. And what their experience of that deep pit, their pit and their hole and their ick is completely different than another person's ick. Right. But yeah, it it seems like we were really just trying to, what's a creative way of talking about darkness coming from, not just from a place, but from the depth of that place in which it can exist, like the darkest pit. And as you said, People can articulate that as a demonic hell thing or just the depths of the spirit of something uh, dark, you know, Yeah. however they would want to articulate it. And my mind immediately goes to when Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, he's fighting Balrog and they just fall into the forever pit and it just goes on forever and you feel like, oh, there's no way he's coming back. And that's... That's where my mind went goes to That's when I great. sing that. If I could write a song that reminds people of the great and glorious Lord of the Rings, um, that's a win for me. The beginning of, of, of this pre-chorus depicts exactly what I was experiencing. Um, like, so worry finding me when I was trying to sleep at night, the racing thoughts and even the physical feeling in my body my nervous system, my nerves, you know, all that stuff. The the panic of like when you feel, I just need to get out of here. Or if anyone has ever felt claustrophobic, it felt like that, but with no door to walk out of. Those 
feelings did not disappear. No matter how much I prayed for them to go away. But I knew I needed to to write these words. I needed to write them down in faith and as a statement over myself, knowing that as God is always partnering with all things that can be conceptualized as good, he will use all within his grasp to reach me. And with me, it wasn't um, contemplative focus alone, you know, all these things that are good. The, the goodness of God chose to partner with what I was researching from psychologists and their findings of exercise and an impact on anxiety and depression. You know, and I'm, I, I guess I'm comfortable saying that if it's good, it's of God. This conscious living, holistic lifestyle trajectory that this, this time pointed me towards is way more satisfying than if God just did a software reset on my brain, if that makes sense. Like if I was just praying, God, would you take those away? Yeah, it would be epic. But I am so grateful that the trajectory and lifestyle that I've adopted because of that journey, it's really made way for me to see the interconnectedness of all good things in partnership with God and help me step away from you know, this vast way of thinking in, in dualistic terms, this Christian dualism. Um, so from my understanding, God's comfort came to me by way of, of wooing my attention towards a toolbox that helped me live in a new and a different way. And eventually, you know, as I've mentioned, cognitive therapy and these other things have been a huge gift from God. That's, that's really how I see it. And I'm very grateful for um, not the the magic of of a reset of my brain, but uh, a type of healing that was setting me up for success for my the rest of my life. I know some people are healed instantly, and your journey wasn't that, but God was along every single second of your day to help you on your on your way to find healing. Let's go ahead and listen to the pre-chorus, the original one. I think you have a voice memo for that. Yeah, let's listen to it. When sin and shame come over me And I begin to lose my way Wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So yeah, we changed it. To uh, what we read in the beginning. Yeah, we'll play it right here. When worry finds me where I sleep, my God, my God, you comfort me. And when darkness comes from within the deep, my God, my God, So the chorus of this song came first in the writing process. So why don't you go ahead and and read those lyrics for us? My eyes behold the king above all who chose to leave his throne to fight for me. Though my heart goes astray and war on me is waged, I belong to you, the God of grace. 
I remember writing writing that chorus first and the line that came first was that second line, who chose to leave his throne to fight for me. Mm-hmm. That line was inspired from um, an ad lib that Jeremy Riddle did in his arrangement of This Is Amazing Grace. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll play that short clip and I'll reveal of my thievery of that moment of that song. What other king leaves the throne? What other king leaves his throne? What other king leaves his glory? What other king leaves his glory to die? Yeah, his glory to die. I was just always moved by that like I would listen to that song for that moment Mm. in that song yeah Uh, what you know he's singing what other king leaves his throne what other king leaves his glory to die his glory to die like that I was like bro that needed to be a song in itself not a freaking ad lib well I'll take it thank you so (laughs) maybe I could I'll, (laughs) I'll send this to Jeremy and hopefully it doesn't sue me those were powerful words for me during that season. The rest of the chorus of our song was was sort of centered around centered around that as well, around those those words. So trying to capture the theme of an empathetic God who would come down and experience his own panic attack in a, in a garden mm-hmm. in which he would sweat blood. Like this same God man did this for all of mankind and and is is well acquainted with my hurt. Yeah. I love the imagery of our God that is in it with us. He's not just on a throne in his <laughs> on his gold chair being pampered. You know, he here with us and he feels our pain and he's wa- he's running towards us just like the song that really marked me when I was a little girl when God ran. So God is still fighting. Like he's not, he's running towards us. He's coming towards us. He's not just waiting for us to come to him, but he's meeting us where we're at. Yeah. I thought of a line when, when royalty runs, like Mm. that's, that's just the, the beauty of, of the story of our, of our Christian heritage, the story of that, that is just so unique. The pursuit. So let's go ahead and listen to the original voice memo of the chorus. Yeah, it's definitely changed a bit from the original voice memo. I believe it. Or the original, uh, yeah. My eyes behold the king above all who chose to leave his throne to fight for me. Help me not go astray war on me is waged, but I belong to you, the God of grace. But I belong to you, the God of grace. Oh, but I belong to you, the God of grace. So twangy <laughs> without saying that that last part. Um, and there's nothing bad with twang. Yeah, the way it's, I would carelessly not perform for these voice memos, I don't think songwriters <laughs> do, but that's uh, just to get that idea down. But yeah. 
what stands out to you in this chorus? I know I kind of mentioned my inspiration for it, but what stands out to you? Though my heart goes astray and war on me is waged. I think that we, we think of that parable of like the seeds being thrown into the, into yeah. the ground and some land on rocks and some are taken away by the birds. And, you know, I, I feel that your heart goes astray multiple times a day. My heart does. I don't believe that this is for someone who, you know, was once enraptured in God's love and then they completely walked away. You know, that's not a prodigal story. I feel that as Christians, we go through this moment to moment, moment by moment of my heart, my eyes wander, my heart goes astray. Um, I... I get distracted. There's just times that, you know, we, and we're completely in love with Jesus, but then something else gets our attention. And then we be completely overtaken by a situation that just draws us away from Jesus and what we need to be focusing on or, or just who he is to us and how much he loves us. And I, I don't know, there's just a cycle that we go through every day. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the what religion offers and even unfortunately the religion of Christianity, um, what has baked into it is the shame of that cycle of, I just need to do better. I just need to do this thing. And and a lot of this song is written out of this writing against shame. And so a lot of our songs have the word grace in it a lot and, and to emphasize the need, at least for me as a songwriter to, I write a lot about what, about what I need to hear. And this idea of grace is just so important for me to be reminded of. So it's really a pushing against the shame that could come with exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Verse two, let's talk about it. (laughs) So I I just remember in verse two, so I start to sing. So first of all, I wanted you to sing. So the parallel there is how I didn't draw myself out of my anxiety. It wasn't my, my efforts per se. It was you and others walking alongside me. Yeah. So I really wanted you to sing that as someone who's singing over me, yeah. drawing me out, reminding me rather than me um, singing until this verse two drops and hits. And it's really a declarative statement. Yeah, We're asking in the first verse, we'll do this, walk with me in my mess hear my voice, all these things. And then now verse two, similar words, but now it's a new spark of revelation. Oh, you were here the whole time. You walk with me in my mess. You'll deliver me like it's on the way. So this kind of, that's where it was, oh, we like to write duets. We're, we like to write in a duet way uh, for a lot of our songs. So I was like, well, that makes sense for me to, sing this positive part of this song uh, of not just asking, but living and singing the revelation and declaring that, oh, this is this is the reality I want to function in. And so I'm going to declare it. Yeah, because the first verse, it ends with distress. And then your verse ends with rejoice. Yeah. So there's that pain and that anguish. And when it gets to your part, there is a a restoration. Yeah, I I love songs that that climb in that way of where if it's going to be dark it finds its way. Yeah. Out of that. 
Same here. I love closure. Yeah. Well, let's listen to that verse two. You hear my voice. Bridge, this part is, it's just repeating, I behold my king. I don't remember how we wrote that. I, mean, I don't it's, either. It's, it's I just, tried. It's just a line that uh, that just came, I guess. But when I think about it now, I love that it's not trying to add too many words. Yeah. I mean, you have like an ad lib part, which yeah. is which is cool. And it brings a little bit more layer to mm-hmm. it. But I just love the the central focus of, I behold my king. Like, like he showed up. Yeah. He's I, here. Like he stands before me. Like here he is. Here is the 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 answer, the doorway into ultimate good and truth and the way of being. Like I behold him. Yeah. There is no higher. There is no greater. And it's just, what else can we say um, yeah. to that part? I mean, it's just. I'm always moved by when we sing that part of all this of all the parts of the song that are even relevant and connect me back mm-hmm. to my journey of my anxiety. This part still holds the most weight to me, and I think that's just because it ultimately points to the answer. Um, and I mean that not in a way of like just behold Jesus and he'll give you the magic to overcome your situation. But in a way, like he is the doorway of all things that are good, who will ultimately point you to where you need to be. Yeah, let's go ahead and listen to that bridge. on, and I don't know if you were with me at all. I was. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, At our church, um, there was a Sunday I was off and I just, um, and I I try as much as I can to be off, but be there to get a sense of the room, the community, the worship team and all that. And so I remembered this song was scheduled to be led and we weren't on stage at all. And it was the first time ever hearing one of our original songs being led without us leading it. And it hit me the impact of the song, the power of it the, for the first time. Being led was special and just in a very simple way of thinking, oh yeah, this is our song and we're out where we get to enjoy it. But And I knew the song was coming because I helped you know the team plan the set and all that. Yeah. But what I was so caught off guard by was the room filled with people were singing it. And that was a feeling that I'll never forget. And I was, I remember I was getting in my head, fighting it like, oh, am I just, is this a 
moment where of pride where, wow, people are singing my song. But I remember thinking like, no, I was so moved by um, our congregation who was authentically singing these words that meant something to them. Yeah. And, and they weren't just mumbling along with it. Like they were, um, they were singing loudly. And it, I just remember being so moved yeah. by that moment where I was just tearing up. Do you recall that moment for yourself? I recall that it felt that it wasn't our song. It felt that it was just something that I needed to hear. I, I don't remember thinking I wasn't fighting any, any pride or any, any emotion that was linked to like, oh, wow, they're doing our song right now. How cool is this? I really felt like, like we need this. Mm. This is what my, my heart needs just to sing this prayer right now. I felt like I was detached to like, oh, we wrote it. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's go ahead and quickly jump into a couple of the parts that of the song musically that I, you know, I love. And so one of those is the piano intro. So the song starts with a moving piano intro. And over time, as as the church began to uh, become familiar with the song and the song, you know, we would start it with that. Um, we have started it from the bridge before, which was cool, but most of the time we'll just start at the top. So it has that piano intro. And I remember a few times when it was scheduled, you know, people don't know what we're, what we have on the schedule to play. And so they're experiencing it for the, you know, they're just, things are happening to them. They're just experiencing the moment and they're along the journey with us being led into worship. And uh, I just remember a few times the start of the song with the, with the piano line that's very familiar to that song itself. Or, or you would be able to know that, oh, that's God of grace the moment you hear the piano line. And I used to lead a lot. I'm, I'm a good boy now. I take care of my ears. I used to lead with one ear out, <laughs> one of my, my in-ears, monitors. I can recall a few times that song would start. I, I remember hearing a few um, exhales in the room, like, oh, good, they're playing the song. And like there, that there was something affirming about that, but it it was just, um, it was really cool to hear that. Out of all the songs we've written, this has been predominantly the one that people come will come up after the service who maybe are visiting, and um, a couple times someone said, you know, I've been struggling with depression. That song, I, I was really appreciated. They don't know I wrote it, but and then they're asking about it. So we've gotten a lot of feedback in a positive way of how this song has spiritually impacted people. There isn't really a big dynamic shift in the song until verse two. And that was in part by wanting to have the, the dynamics totally change when my voice comes in because of the of what we're singing about. It's more triumphant. It's more declarative revelation yeah. and wanting to communicate that shift um, and impact of, oh, now we're, um, we're out of that, that, um, that, that pit. Yeah, let's talk about the the choir. Yeah. The I Behold My King. That's actually original from 2014. Yeah, the demo. Yeah. And it was us and a few friends. And we had I I believe we sang different octaves, different tones to make us sound just full and thick. Yeah, and, and the harmony. We did a couple harmony takes as well. That's cool that we kept that in there. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure everything else is new. Yeah, the only thing that's from that time is the lead guitar track that's on the pan to the right. If you're listening for it, you'll mm-hmm. hear it. Um, that's me going straight into my interface and using Logic's guitar amps and stuff. Wow. And I just, I thought about re-recording it. So part of it was practically just like being fine with it. And then also um, just really digging the tone of it, that it, it really worked out well. I Well, that was our episode for today. And I just want to thank you so much for listening. And I know we talked a lot about anxiety and mental health and all that stuff. And I I just want to encourage you to reach out to someone that is safe, someone that you trust. Reach out to us. We have resources. And I, we we don't want you to walk through this journey with mental health alone. That's not how it's supposed to be. And we want you to know that someone is here for you and that you have love and support through whatever you're going through. Yes. No, you are not alone. Reach out to a therapist, a doctor, a friend. Um, you you have our emails. We're, we're happy to resource you in however we can. We are not sure when the next song can come out um, because we're unsure about some funds and allocating that towards uh, what it takes to get those songs mixed and mastered and all the other stuff that goes into making all that. So we have our baby girl on the way. We're save, trying to save up for a van. We're borrowing cars um, and have been for like the past year and a half. Thanks dad and dad-in-law <laughs> for uh, allowing us to do so. But so we're trying to get all those things in order and so we're working on getting, I think this is the first time we're mentioning this, but a, um, some type of GoFundMe to help get this music project really funded because it's not cheap. It's not free. Even this podcast takes um, some money to get it out to all the directories. There's a monthly cost. There's all this type of stuff that goes into it. So all that being said, what we are certain of is that the next song that we will be releasing at least will be the song, You Go With Me. And I'm excited about that. A couple years ago, we had it on a VBS album. So I'll link that for you guys to take a listen to. Don't get too attached to that version yeah. so that you hate or really prefer that. But it I'm is saying, a jam. I'm, I'm happy is. with how that, how that came out. But You wrote it as a for the congregation. Yeah, we've been leading it for a while, and I have a demo version. But as far as— And then um, you stole—you you took it from VBS, and you made it, like, fun and pop. Yeah. Um, so, but— I'll link it. Don't enjoy it too much. Just enough to want you to make you want to listen to the the next one. But yeah, so um, yeah, as always, please um, rate, um, subscribe. Share. Share this podcast, our music. We're so grateful for all all of you who have already done that. And um, we look forward to the next episode. And we have some good, awesome guests lined up to interview about some really... Um, cool topics so 
we'll we will catch you on those. All right, everybody. Bye.